Good morning, friends. How not to talk to an angel. You might wonder where that comes from. Well, a week ago, I started team teaching the Gospel of Luke with a friend of mine at First Baptist Church here in Branson. And I he had the introduction the first week. I'm doing chapter one tomorrow. And I thought, as long as I was going to prepare teaching, I might just write a sermon at the same time as well. And so I've been thinking about Luke chapter 1 and the story of Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, who didn't believe it when Gabriel came and told him that his wife Elizabeth was going to conceive and have a baby that would turn a lot of people to righteousness and would prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. When the angel finished that pronouncement, Zechariah asked a question that got him into trouble. The question was this, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. Now, I like the way uh, Eugene Peterson in the message paraphrased this. He wrote, do you expect me to believe this? Which kind of captures the note of doubt and skepticism. And though it was quite true that both Zechariah and Elizabeth were old and past childbearing years, the angel clearly expected Zechariah to believe what God had just said to him through this angel. And so in thinking about this story, It's kind of helpful to compare Mary's response, also in chapter 1, when Gabriel came to her six months later with the same kind of startling announcement that she would get pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit and that the child she would bear would actually be the Son of God. And even though the promises made to Mary are, well, they're, they're much greater, and to be honest, harder to believe, her response is different than Zechariah's. When the angel finished his announcement, Mary simply said, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And then a few verses later, she said, I am the Lord's slave. May it be done to me according to your word. Now, there's a subtle but very important difference at work here. Zechariah wanted proof. Mary wanted understanding. Zechariah's question reveals his fundamental calculation that he could not believe that his wife could get pregnant. Now, certainly he had some logical reasons for concluding that. All he had to do is think about it. It's pretty simple. Young couples have babies. Old couples don't. Simple and clear, a basic biological fact. So Zechariah's question really is, why should I believe something as preposterous as this? Now, if we compare Zechariah and Mary, we are left with a question like this. Which is harder to believe? That an older couple, well past childbearing years, should have a baby or that a virgin would conceive and give birth to a son. Now, i got to tell you that both of these challenge the mind, and both are humanly impossible. I mean, surely the virginal conception of Jesus is a miracle of a different order than Elizabeth getting pregnant. Yet she believed Zechariah did not. Now, what can we possibly learn from these two stories? Well, let me suggest five things. First of all, even very strong believers will sometimes stumble through unbelief. Luke chapter 1, verse 6 makes it abundantly clear that Zechariah and Elizabeth were both strong believers whose character was upright, whose observance of the law was blameless. I mean, after all, Zechariah was a priest. And the very next verse explains they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. So as an older, childless couple, they were fully committed to serving God faithfully. Zechariah's unbelief sprang from the fact It sprang not from any particular moral weakness, but from something more basic. He simply could not conceive of how his wife could conceive. 
See, because it didn't fit into his way of thinking, he simply could not and would not allow himself to think differently, even though an angel stood right in front of him with a word from the Lord. Now, second, sometimes long delays may cause us to doubt that our prayers will ever be answered. I mean, the first thing the angel said was, don't be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been answered. Now, right then you ought to ask, what prayer was that? Well, no doubt it was the prayer that Zechariah and and Elizabeth had, had offered many times over the years that God would give them a child. Now, we can hardly understand from our point of view what it meant in that culture and in that day to be childless. I mean, back in that day, it was a cause for some real bitter sorrow. And as much as we can pray and hope for children to be born today, they felt it much deeper than we do. It would have been easy and very human for Zechariah to conclude that at this late date, Elizabeth was just never going to give birth. Now, I got to tell you, there are going to be many times for all of us when it seems as if God has pressed the mute button so that we don't hear from heaven for a long time. And in those periods, you know, let's not get tired, but continue to seek the Lord and to pray. See, if we give out, give up, how does that improve our situation? If we stop praying for loved ones, for example, who don't know Jesus yet, how, how does that help them? Well, here's the third point I want to make. Man's unbelief does not cancel God's plan. See, if God is God, this is true. The angel's message contradicted everything Zechariah knew, so he refused to believe it. And for that reason, he was struck dumb and could not speak until the baby was born. Verse 20 of Luke 1 says, And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at the proper time. Now, buried in that judgment of God, taking away his voice, is still a strong note of mercy. My words will come true at the proper time. I mean, Zechariah's unbelief would cost him his voice, but it would not cancel God's plan. And in Luke 1 and 2, the whole thing of Zechariah and Elizabeth and uh, the Christmas story, we find at every turn a strong emphasis on God's sovereignty over the affairs of men. So neither Zechariah's unbelief or Herod's murderous rage would stop or even slow down the unfolding of God's plan to bring Jesus into this world. Now, while our unbelief may bring us a lot of sorrow and may even seem to derail God's plan for a season, that's only from our point of view. Above the clouds that block our view, the sun still shines, and in due course, the clouds will part and God will move once again. Here's the fourth point I want to make. Our unbelief robs us of the joy of believing God for the impossible. You see, in Zechariah's case, God took away his voice for a season to teach him a lesson, a lesson that God is able to work in circumstances that seem utterly impossible. Now, as a pious Jew, I mean, he was uh, one of the guys who served in the temple. I mean, he ought to have remembered what God did for Abraham and Sarah. And he ought to have remembered that Isaac prayed for Rebekah, and God answered him with the birth of twins. In this case, God touched Zechariah in the very place where he had sinned. Because he used his voice in his job, and he also used his voice to express his unbelief, God took it away until the baby was born. And in the nature of the case, this was a public judgment. Now, you can imagine, soon the word would spread that something had happened to Zechariah and he could not speak when he when he exited the Holy of Holies. He just made motions, Scripture says. 
And then for nine long months, Zechariah's reminded every time he opened his mouth and no sound came out, that by his unbelief, he had, well, let's put it this way, he had defended God. Well, here's my fifth point. God disciplines stumbling believers in order that he might restore them later. Now, we see this pretty clearly when the baby is finally born. Uh, the friends are all gathering around, um, uh, you know, and waiting for uh, the baby to be named Zechariah after his father. And they were shocked when Elizabeth blurts out, no, we're going to call him John. Well, they went to Zechariah because it was the man's responsibility in that day to name the child and ask him what the child should be called. Now, this time there can be no doubt about his faith. Verses 62 to 65 say they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. And immediately... His mouth was opened, his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak, praising God. Now, it's a really good thing that we have this story recorded in the Bible so that we might see the rest of the story. See, God intended all along to demonstrate his power, that's in the conception and the birth of John, in his justice, which was disciplining Zechariah, and in his mercy, restoring his voice. And he accomplished all three things, just boom, just like that. Hebrews 12:11 reminds us that God's purposes and discipline are ultimately restorative. The writer to the Hebrews says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. You see, friends, strange as it may seem, Zechariah's judgment was also a sign of God's mercy in that he was judged that he might be restored with a newfound faith, if you will, won the hard way through public discipline that must have seemed pretty painful at the time, but did in the end yield a godly harvest of righteousness. You can almost imagine this old man holding his son John in his arms. He knew now that God could do the impossible. And he also knew that God would do whatever it takes to bring back his children who stumble through unbelief. If our sorrows do not drive us nearer to God, friends, then for all practical purposes, they're wasted on us. How sad to stumble around and then to suffer and to be none the better for it. And how much worse if we stumble and then suffer and then we become bitter against the Lord. We can come to the end of a hard time and say, because I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I believe your word. See, Zechariah on his good days was what we might call a splendid sinner. And in his unbelief, he was a poor performer. But thanks be to God, Christ came for splendid sinners and poor performers. So do you feel somewhat dismayed by your poor performance these last few days, (laughs) this pandemic? Would you feel better if you had been better? Probably. But friends, we are not saved by our feelings, but by Jesus who died for us while we were yet sinners and who justified us while we were ungodly and who continues to save us despite our poor performance and our splendid sins. It's no wonder the angel called it good news of great joy when Jesus was born. And to that I say, let all poor performers and splendid sinners rejoice. He came for us as well. That's in chapter 2. We'll do that soon. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion.